0: Okay, our text this morning will be from the epistle of John, 1 John, chapter 2, and this to preface this, this is a a passionate plea from John and command and direction to his church, that in the beauty of the gospel and the gloriousness of God that there is no darkness, that he is light. And the light should shine in our life, through our life, and in every aspect of our life. And uh, that we keep his word, abide in him, and walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. That is the true essence and impact that the gospel has for his people and that when we sin God is faithful to forgive our sins and that sin cleanses us and calls us to draw closer to the Lord so that we may honor him with our life so 1 John chapter 2 we'll be reading verse 1 through 11 and then 15 through 17 so those able to stand please do so for the reading of the gospel 1 John Chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments and the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him the love of God has truly been perfected and by this we know that we are in him the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as Christ walked Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks into darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated.
1: We had a graduation with one of our homeschool groups on this last week, and we had to move some. They moved some furniture. Good morning. Let me bring to your attention real quickly, uh, Marie Wager, uh, Ar- Arby's uh, wife, and uh, she had COVID three weeks ago. Got over that, and then this last Thursday she fell. Uh, and, and uh, had some, obviously, in fact, she had some, she's in ICU at St. Joe's, and had some bleeding lesions, um, she's seeing double, uh, and so, really, we obviously need to keep Marie Weger in our prayers, um, and uh, uh, just keep her in your prayers, I don't know how well you know Marie, but she is a, a wonderful example of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit in someone, and Her life is a witness and testimony to God, and she's a great help to Arby. So keep Marie in your prayers. Uh, Lisa Keene, her father, Kenneth Byrd, passed away this last week in Kentucky, and they're in Kentucky now. The funeral is tomorrow, but uh, Lisa and Casey both would appreciate your prayers. So there's always much to be uh, in prayer for. It's good to be here. Uh, It really is. Johnny, thank you so much this morning, man. I... What a blessing, uh, what an absolute blessing. I'm going to re- reflect very quickly. Our passage is going to be out of Colossians in that third chapter, but I want to read that verse 15 through 17 that uh, Paul just read in First John. Uh, so much to really digest in that second chapter of First John about those that really do love God, those who really are followers of God, the way they are known, Uh, If you love him, and Jesus was very clear about that, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, his words. If you love him, you'll obey his commands. You will love your brother. There'll be no hatred for you of your brother. And then, and again, verse 15 through 17, instructions to Christians. We've been talking about personal responsibility the last several weeks out of the book of Colossians. Each of the letters, each of the New Testament letters written to Christians had instruction about their personal responsibility, the way that you and I are to live according to someone who has been saved by God. The Bible doesn't leave any guesswork. If you're a Christian, God has saved you, you have received the forgiveness of God, and you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then having God's holy word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. If you're eager to study the scripture, the scripture very clearly identifies what is required, the way you and I are supposed to live as a Christian. I think much is lacking. There is a gospel that is being preached and taught, and it is an incomplete gospel. It tells the message of the cross at some level, the forgiveness that is available, Quite wonderfully, uh, some aspect of faith, but then the Christians, there is far more said, far more in Matthew through Revelation. Three times as much said about a Christian's life and responsibility based upon the saving work of God, three times. The gospel is mentioned, the saving work of God throughout all the New Testament epistles. The gospels obviously can't have a gospel without the story of the gospel, the death, the life, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the hope that you and I have from that. Well represented, no gospel without it. In relationship to that, though, over three times as much information in the Gospels and in the New Testament epistles through the book of Revelation about then your responsibility, my responsibility, what God has called us to do through his holy inspired word and how to live according to that gospel. So that's really the focus of this section of Colossians and then uh, rereading this, first, this passage uh, out of uh, First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 again. Remember, this is written to Christians. This is written to a Christian who has been saved, sanctified, justified, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled. Verse 15, do not, do not. Old Testament, (laughs) do not. Command. It's always amazing to me how Christians avoid even the language of commandment. We just avoid it. Preachers avoid it. Bible teachers don't teach it. Just do a topical study, Genesis through Revelation, on the do's and the do nots. The Bible, as it reveals who God is, the goodness of God, the love of God, the judgment of God, the mercy of God, the wrath of God, as it's revealed, he talks a great deal. In his word about the do's and the do-nots. So here we go, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Scripture is this huge mirror. It should be. Scripture, you every time you read Scripture, there should be a reflective image of your life in relationship to the teaching of Scriptures. We all look in a mirror every day. Sometimes you might be that guy that when he looks in the mirror, he's got to look again. And he goes back again, he's got to look again. He's just constantly looking in the mirror. How, do I still look the same? Have I aged a whole lot? Is my hair in place? Am I looking good? I don't know. We do that instinctively. Our flesh does that. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be just great if the great mirror in our life that we determine what we should look like, the reflection is just the Word of God because the Word of God is a mirror that very clearly, in light of what it teaches, it should be then the reflection of who we are. And so, again, as that Word reflects into my life, if I love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. If I love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. For all, everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the scripture says the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. Go back to Genesis. What was Eve's? When did she fail? Yeah, but very clearly, she has the conversation with the serpent. She's tempted. Did God really say that you shouldn't? Yep, God said it. She knew what God's word to her was. And then Satan, the native tongue that he has that is lying. In John chapter 8, you read that, that he's a deceiver. And his native tongue is lying. He lies always. He said, no, you can't trust God. Satan's message from the garden forward into your life is you, you can't trust God. You got something going on in your life. You got struggle. You got an overwhelming sense of desperation and fear or depression or something just seems so absolute overwhelming and this great fear overwhelms you. And ultimately, Satan is always saying, and he has been saying through the pages of Scripture and history, that you can't trust God. And Scripture is saying to us, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter who the Goliath is. It doesn't matter how deep the chasm is. It doesn't matter how wide the river is. It doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. We live by faith and not by what we see. It doesn't matter. The reality is our God is big enough. You can trust him. You can trust him. And Satan stands in defiance. But her sin was, brother... When he deceived her, her knowing the truth of what God said, here was her sin. She looked at the fruit, she saw it, and she desired it. And so she took and she ate. You go to the first chapter of James, that's how sin begins. We get tempted, and we look at it, then we lust for it, and then we t- and then it leads to death. It's no story. It's a true story. And it's our story. It is. And the scripture says, the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. And so, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And it's from the world. Wouldn't you, what if you just desired, how much of your life would be cleaned up? If you could, again, look in the mirror and say, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to want the things that are from the Father and not from the world. Think about it. You got everything from the Father, and then you got everything from the world. And this is by no means a slight on you men, not one bit of slight, because I'm going to tell you, Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the uh, glory of God, all of us. I just, it's the truth. So, this is not a slide on you. Paul would say, the Apostle Paul, and when he was young in his ministry, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. As he encountered the grace of God more, understood it more, digested the gospel more, in his old man, he said, I am the chief of all sinners sanctification increases as god sanctifies us he also increases in us the level of our own guilt and shame we have the growth of love and a greater understanding of love which also gives us a greater should give us a greater understanding of our own sin and so paul would say he would say man i am i am i am the chief of all sinners but I look at you, and you look at your life, and we look in, life in light of what Scripture says, the reflective image of the truth of God, and there's a reason you're in a residential treatment facility. And don't you think for a minute that mouthy preacher up there is standing at a level of judgment. Or I, I'm an ex-convict. There's a reason I went to prison. And it wasn't because I was abused. It wasn't because uh, somebody mistreated me. It wasn't because I grew up in poverty. It wasn't because I was dealt a bad hand. That could be the truth in many people's lives. But I don't care where you're at on whatever that thing is that I just described, your your excuse, your, your story, true story, whatever it is. But here is the truth of no matter where you're at on that sliding scale, the reason you were there and the reason I have been in wherever it is that I shouldn't have been in my life where God did not want me to be is because I wanted the things from the world more than I wanted the things from God. You don't know that. You need to know that. You ought to be able to look at this scripture, identify yourself in that scripture, and very clearly say, God is not the problem. My mother's not the problem. My father's not my problem. Where I live is not my problem. My level of education is not my problem. The only problem is that me and my flesh have have desired the things from the world more than I have desired the things from God. And then he would say this, and the world is passing away, and also its lust. (sighs) Ah. but the one who does the will of God abides forever. We sing that great hymn, Johnny, Hannah, this world's not my home, I'm just passing through. I wish we believed that. I wish Christians lived like they believed that. Great hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And we live as though this world is everything to us. And it's temporary. It's passing away. Everything that you see today on the news and the mainstream media, in the streets, in the public fairway is on its last dying legs. Whatever you see that's going on in the world today and it, it may seem as though it has some substance to it or, or, or maybe there's something attractive or intriguing. You should know that the creation in this earth is in its dying, dying moments. This earth is passing away. We should live like it's passing away. It's passing away. Now go to Colossians chapter 3. Personal responsibility. We talked about over the last several weeks about the things the scripture says that we should consider dead in our body and the things that we should put aside. And then last week we talked about what we should be putting on And the scripture is very clear about what we should be putting on. And in the scripture, when it talks about in the New Testament epistles about putting something on, he literally, it's a reference to being clothed. The scripture would say that we were going to receive a robe of righteousness. Paul would write to Galatians, all of us who've been baptized into Christ have put him on. We have been clothed with him. We talked last week, then we'll go there in the 23rd chapter of Luke as we conclude this sermon, but we will talk about how they cast lots for his garments. He, he appeared to be naked, and what you really saw with him on the cross was the man, God, fully clothed, and he was fully clothed with what? Verse 10 of chapter 3. And put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And you drop down in verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're going to stop there this morning. I've had this list prepared for you. We talked a great deal about compassion. Every time there's a list in the Bible, it does one of two things. Every time it says, you put this aside, immorality, impurity, greed, lust, whatever it is, lying. And wherever that list starts, the, the writer of Scripture, it's always it's synonymous. This is really bad. We start here in the list, and it gets worse. Conversely, any time we get to this point in Scripture where in contrast to everything that's bad it's getting worse, He said, this is really good, and it gets better. It's a domino effect. And so you and I are supposed to be clothed with what? He's very clear. A heart, a heart, there's the image again. Above all else, the heart is wicked. Jesus would say that. Solomon would write to Proverbs, he said, above all else, guard your heart, because from it the well springs of life come. Paul would write to Romans, uh, the Romans in chapter 10 that with a heart you believe, uh, Romans in chapter 5, the love of God has been poured into our heart that above all else we're supposed to guard because the wellsprings of life come, and yet huh, everything that's wicked in me comes out of my heart as well. And so the scripture says my responsibility as a Christian is to do what? Clothe myself. Put on what? Compassion, a heart of compassion, and this morning, kindness. It's going to get better. You can't be kind without compassion. You can't be humble without compassion and kindness. You can't be gentle without being humble. You can't be patient. So you can back it up. But moving forward, if I'm compassionate in my heart, I'm going to be kind. And if I'm kind in my heart, I'll be humble. And if I'm humble in my heart, I'll be gentle. And if I'm gentle in my heart, I'll be patient. It's a perfect, perfect, it's just a perfect reality, this list. If you were to talk to a clinical psychologist today who's not a Christian, they would tell you the emotional status of a human being that would go in this stair-stepping, ascending reality would be identical to what Scripture identified 2,000 years ago. Science and the smart people and the educated people are always trying to catch up with the Bible. They just are. They're just always trying to catch up with the Bible. If you don't want to believe the Bible for any other reason, you Just read anything that humanity has to offer in the arrogance of man and you'll find they're always catching up to the Bible. It's just one example. And so, kindness. Now again, here's a question. Because we're so easily deceived. And sometimes I believe professing Christians sitting in pews are some of the most easily deceived. I've used that term, professing Christians. I did not say Christians. The Bible very clearly speaks about professing Christians. They profess God and Christ with their lips, but their heart is far removed. Again, look in the mirror, according to the holy writ of God. Jesus very clearly says in the last days, there'll be many that say to me, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. I did not, and I do not know you. Had a great class with the youth, Clay and Stasny Boys and Grace this morning. And uh, we're in Ecclesiastes. And uh, one of the major themes in Ecclesiastes is fearing God. The church is weak today, full of professing Christians because we have not been taught to fear God. Fear is good. It's a good thing. I asked them to tell me of a time in their life when they were afraid, and I loved their answers, (laughs) out of the mouth of babes. When was the last time you were afraid of something? Then I asked them. Do you fear God? Proverbs wrote, Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 to fear God is the beginning of knowledge. That's just one. Over 300 times in Scripture, over 300, closer to 400, the Bible truth says you and I are to fear God. Fear God. We got a bunch of weak, mealy mouthed churches and professing Christians today because they've not been taught to fear God. In violation and ignorance of Scripture, they have been not taught to fear God. When the holy writ of God very clearly teaches in order for you and I to love God, we've got to fear him. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Now that will not fill up a church necessarily. And it certainly will not in tickle ears, but it is certainly biblically truth. It is biblically, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and physically healthy. It's a good thing to fear God. And perfect love drives out that fear. But we begin in fear, and we ought to, and you ought to, I tell you, I asked Clay. I asked him, do, do you fear God? Well, yeah, well, no, I, yes and no. Well, on the bay, And I said, now, Clay, you asked me. He said, Arby, do you fear God? What did I say, Clay? He said, I fear God. I fear God. Do you remember why I said I fear God? brave there's me in, brother. I fear God because there is a heaven, and I fear God because there's a hell. And shame on preachers. And Bible teachers that are not teaching that. There is a hell. And you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. My heart, you know, the more that I have studied hell, I have had a few enemies in my life. I don't think I've had many. I've had many that don't like me. I don't know that I'd call them enemies. I know what an enemy is. Johnny, you know what an enemy is, don't you? I don't know that I've had many enemies. I know I've had some. I know I've had people that would cause me harm. More in the church than out of the church. That's just a sad thing, but it's a biblical truth. I mean, Jesus said, you've killed, God's people have always killed. killed. They killed the prophets of old. And they certainly killed him in their self-righteousness. Thinking under the delusion that they were following the things from the Father, but even their religion was following the things from the world. And their phylacteries and their Bible quoting and their sense of self-well to be obedient to God's word. But not fearing God. Teaching others to fear God, but not fearing God. But as I have studied hell, Johnny... I would not want anyone that I know. There's no one I could even think of in my heart that I would want to be judged into hell, not one. There's not any despotic person that I know that I've never met, just just all the sickness and darkness in the world that I would want. To see in hell the Bible says in Ezekiel do not find joy in the death of a wicked man but hell is real and the greatest sadness that I read in scripture according to hell the greatest sadness greatest is there are professing Christians who at some level believe they know the Lord. And he's going to say to them, depart from me, I don't know you. And then the rest of the story is, they're going to depart from his presence into a place of great weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And that ought to scare the hell out of you. What does that have to do with kindness? If I'm going to understand kindness, I have to understand it in light of the clothing of Christ. I don't have time this morning. I, I wrote, I've got all these verses down here. And all of them, Old Testament and New Testament, have something to say about kindness. For instance, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that great passage about love. is says, what is it? Love is patient. It is kind. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. So there's there's one. There's love. But you could just read all those verses. I'm gonna, I'm just not going to do it. I, I'd love to read every one of them to you. you go to Galatians chapter 5 and read about the fruits of the Spirit in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. It's all... You, through all of the New Testament letters, there's always the deeds of the flesh or don't do this, put this aside, kill this, consider it dead. Oh, and by the way, do this, put on this. But as you look in the mirror and you think you're a kind person, maybe you think you're kind. Maybe you think I'm a good neighbor. Maybe you think, well, I'm a good American. Well, I'm a good citizen. I'm a good employee, I'm kind, I'm a kind, I'm fair. Maybe you think you're fair. I'm kind, I'm fair. Okay. How would you know? Now, you would have your own estimation of that. John, you might, you mean, we, we might have a conversation about kindness. Well, tell me what you think. You know, well, you know. You'd have, you well, this is kindness to me and say, well, this is kindness to me. But if this is something the Christian is supposed to put on, and I would say to you is the clothing of Christ on the cross, then the litmus test is the kindness that Jesus was wearing on the cross. And no longer do you get to estimate it or I get to estimate it, but Scripture estimates it for us. Challenge, read the Scriptures, read them. I hope you are like the Bereans in the book of Acts, where Paul said the Bereans were more noble minded than the Thessalonians because they were eager to study the scripture. I hope you're eager to study the scripture. But so, for time's sake this morning, we're just going to look at two passages of Luke. And one of them is in Luke chapter 7. And it's very easy. And this is Jesus speaking. And so, this is what Jesus spoke. And then he lived, and the evidence of the living of it was nailed to a cross. So in chapter 7, verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Now, we like that. Johnny, I like it when men speak well. You know Jesus said on the Beatitudes? He said, Blessed are you. When men persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you, I don't like that. I've learned to, I tell you what, I get, I'm not being facetious. You know, and again, it's always professing Christians. It's not, man, I I love the drug addict and alcoholic and the guy up there, Joe's drinking beer. uh, They're really raw. You know, I had a great professor one day. uh, He showed us, I had never watched that show, Cheers. I never watched it, had no desire to watch it. He came in, he's teaching a Bible class. And he showed us segments of the show Cheers, and it's about a beer joint in Boston. And and he had little segments out there, and it showed how well they treated each other, the beer drinkers. (laughs) They just treated each other. They loved each other. They were sarcastic with one another. But they were there for one another. And then during the process of the class, he said, oh, I wish the church was that way. He said, I wish the church lived like the people in Cheers. The dedication they had to one another, the kindness, the forgiveness, the compassion they had for one another. In church, we sometimes we're the only one that kill the wounded. You've heard I, I don't know which preacher said that, but I've seen it. And this is Jesus speaking. We like it when men speak well of us, but Jesus said, "Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of false things about." Because you. you know what, your reward's good, and great in heaven. As much as I believe in hell, Clay, I believe in heaven, brother. And I've done nothing to earn it. I can't do anything to earn it. But I have been secured by God, the grace of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, living assuredly to the promises of God, believing in eternal heaven. And it won't be anything of my own doing. It'll only be because he has accomplished that in my life. And so, as a Christian, Jesus' teaching... Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. They spoke well of false prophets. I remember Dwight Robards, Jim Mankin, guys, you wouldn't know. He said, you ain't never really going to be a preacher until the church members start talking bad about you. He said, you know then, that's not anything. It's true. It's biblically true. He says, but I say to you, now here it is, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. How kind are you, John? I don't know. Now, this is the lesson. We're going to see the reality of it in just a minute. Love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. You kind? You so if you are going through the list in Colossians or Ephesians or Corinthians because the list is all over the New Testament, and you got a pretty good sense of who you are, now we're going to see the reality of it, the clothing on the cross, but the teaching before the cross is, do good to those who hate you. I'd I, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Really? You kind? Are you passing the test right now as you go through this list? Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. You know, Paul writes a whole, he, he throughout to Corinthians. There were Christian professing Christians, taking one another. When a Christian enlists a lawyer, To go out, a Christian, they have reached the depth, the epitome, the well of evil. If you don't believe that, stand in the presence and the reflection of Scripture and tell me otherwise. Don't tell me, tell God. You justified before God. It'll be based upon the things from the earth. Won't be based upon the things from God. And if I'm wrong, please, dear God Almighty, you look me in the eyes and you tell me according to the Word God, God's Word, that that's wrong. There's anything even remotely wrong about it, but Christians taking Christians to court. And that's not what he says somebody asks you for. You just give it all to them. Kindness, how kind are you? Give to everyone who asks of you and whoever takes... Away, what is yours? Don't demand it back. How kind are you? You Take something of mine? We're so tired. We got a world full of hoarders. Americans got more stuff than anybody you ever known. You got three generations of stuff from your grandma and your great grandma, and they had so much stuff, and now you're storing it, and it's in boxes rotting away. But we got it, and you ain't gonna take it. much less give it to somebody who'd ask for it. And as just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Here, Are you kind? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Here's a... Here's, <laughs> He <laughs> loves Christians. Uh, so, uh, listen to this. I don't mean to laugh because it's sad. I got to laugh to keep from crying. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Christianity is not a good banking system. <laughs> Christianity is not, a good, it is not a good banking system. So, But I tell you, the one that paid the price for all of your sin and my sin, he made a deposit. All over the cursed, wooden, cut tree, he deposited his blood on it, and it flowed out onto the ground. He knew you and I couldn't pay it back. And if you do good to those who do good, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do that. And if you it lend to those who, whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. He ain't even talking about interest. But love your enemies. Do good and lend. Expect nothing in return. How do you, what are the biggest problems we get into as Christians? Well, even when we would do good, we expect somebody to do something in kind. It's not, you don't, you can't validate that in the Bible. It's a hardest lesson. Well, you know, we help that part. We help, well, how many times did you forgive somebody? Seven times? Over oh, 70 times seven. Oh. Are you kind? Are you kind? You think you're kind? Love your enemies. Do good and lend. Expecting nothing in return and reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind. He's kind. To who? Ungrateful and even evil men. Are you kind? This church knows this. Most of you know it. I've been here five, over five, five and a half years to the dismay of some. Uh, I, I, I love I absolutely love being here. I love what God is doing at this church. I've been doing this long enough that I, I, I can see it. And it's a blessing. And when I read passages like this and I think about our flesh and the overwhelming power of our flesh in us and the overwhelming power that money, money is the root of all evil. Jesus teaches about a rich man. It's going to be harder for that rich man to get into heaven than to go through the eye of a camel. He said, now, with men, this is impossible because, well, then, who can go to heaven? He said, with men, but it's possible. There's going to be rich people, poor people, everybody, you know, whoever God determines this person, yep, well done, good and faithful servant. And we can just trust that. He'll know. He already knows. He has always known. But I have seen, you know, in the last, I don't preach on money unless the text demands it. The biblical truth of money is you give to God first, but if you can't give with a cheerful heart, Don't give. He loves a cheerful giver. And if it's your money, you keep it. If it's yours, you keep it. I I, I literally have known of and seen people said, I'm going to withhold the giving, my giving with my money. Maybe that'll get the preacher fired or I'll get my way done or I'll hurt these people that way. And if it's anything else, tell me different. Because it's your money that God doesn't need. He just doesn't need it. He gave it to you, not needing it. He's allowing you to be blessed by it. On this level, not your level, not a wise man's level, and so be merciful just as your father is merciful. So I'm going to go to the 23rd chapter of Luke and we're gonna be done. This is easy. It's Jesus on the cross. He said all those things. Then he did all those things. And you're a Christian and you're either a professing Christian Or you are a humiliated, humiliated, humbled, broken, confessing, repenting, saved child of God. You're one of the two. You're one of the two. You really are. A man who's been forgiven much loves much. You're one of the two. You're a professing Christian that believe that you had maybe some inkling of something noble in you to save yourself or help God save you. And then you're just like the old Pharisee in the temple. Thank you, God, for not making me like other men because I I, I tithe even the smallest of things. You you, you, be Sad place to be. That'll be one of the departure people. And then there's the other one that says, Dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. We've made the gift of salvation too easy and too simple. Just ask him in your heart. That's another sermon for another day. But on the... Twenty-third chapter. I'm gonna be done in three minutes because the text does it for itself. I've gone long this morning. Verse thirty-three. For those of you keeping up, watch it'll be five minutes. Thank you, House of Hope. It's funny when you're broken, you're not worried about time, are you? You just not. When you're broken, you're not worried about time. When you're not broken, you worried about time. Because we got to get to Lubies or somewhere. I don't know. So, verse, I, praise God, man. God is so good. When they came to the place called the skull, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How kind are you? And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Read in the 22nd Psalm. They said in the 22nd Psalm, it was, the same, it was a psalm of sorrow and praise that they would do this. It was being fulfilled. They, they were casting lots, dividing up his garments, the physical ones. They couldn't divide the spiritual clothing of Christ. They couldn't cast lots for gentleness and kindness and patience and humility. They could not cast lots for that. But his outer garments, they did. They were more worried about the things from the world than the things from God. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, by the way, out of the 22nd Psalm, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. 22nd Psalm. Now, there, there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews, and one of the criminals who were hanged, hanged. In the scripture says, it's cursed to be hung on a tree. Hang there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ, save yourself and us? But the other answered and rebuked him, said, do you not even fear God? That's the question. That is the question. That has to be asked, and scripture demands an answer. Do you not even fear God? You ought to be able to look in the mirror and see, Am I kind? And you ought to be able to look in the mirror and say, Do I fear God? Jesus just described these are the people that fear God. They'll give without expecting anything in return, they'll forgive, they'll turn. They won't return evil for evil or insult. They're not worried about their rights. They're worried about God's rights. And one of the criminals, he was this. And the other one, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, we indeed, for we are receiving, we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom and here's the kindness of God. Truly, God never tells a lie. Every word from Satan is a lie. Everything that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is truly. Truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Are you kind? Let me tell you what happened that moment at that moment on those six hours. Let me tell you what happened. There were 72,000 angels, 72,000 ready to drop, draw their sword, 72, 72, 72, 72,000 ready to draw their sword. They're just watching. He wouldn't have needed those 72,000. All he had to do, not just speak it, but think it. All he had to do was think one thing incinerate and all that he had created would it just he didn't need the 72,000 they were ready but all he had to do was think incinerate and he would have been justified are you kind are you kind do you think you're kind How would you justify your kindness if you're a Christian? Put on compassion. Put on kindness. That's what it looks like. So when you look in the mirror of Scripture and then you see the reflection of yourself and if you're a professing Christian or a broken, humble man and woman of God, you know what to put on. You put on his kindness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we are your children. We're so grateful that you have forgiven us. We're so grateful that your kindness was put on display 2,000 years ago on a place called the skull, Father. Men have always... Built a skull. They have always built a guillotine or a place to hang a man or a woman or a criminal. A gas chamber to execute them. A needle to inject them with. And what did you do? What did you do, Father? What did you do through your son? What did you do, Jesus? Very kindly, you said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And to that woeful criminal, your kindness said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it is in the name of the king of kings, in the name of kindness, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.